glad to be here tonight with all of you and know that the Lord is here with us. He never fails. He's the same yesterday, Brother Usher. Brother Usher, I once. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never fails, does he? He's a great and big, wonderful God. Oh, man, we are so blessed, aren't we? We're blessed of the Lord. I am blessed. I am blessed. Every day that I live, I am blessed. When I wake up in the Thank you, Lord, for the many blessings of the Lord. You've been so good to us, Lord. Hallelujah. Forgive us for any time, Lord, that we've been unthankful. And God, we give you praise. We thank you, Lord, that you are so good. I want to say to my brother-in-law, John, if you're watching tonight's service, that we're praying for your family, my brother in-law John Robert his father passed away this morning and I just want you to know we're we're praying for you and we love you um, several years ago uh, he was 93 several years ago we prayed and they said he was going to die and God brought him back as it were from the dead and he lived uh, several more years and so uh, we thank God uh, for what he did, and now at age 93, he just passed. Let me just interrupt myself to say, uh, uh, children who want to go to a power hour, Sister Rachel is back there, and she's ready to take you. So if you want to go to power hour, children, you can go. Sister Rachel, please do not cross the road without S Sister Rachel or an adult, okay? Praise God. Also, I want to mention that starting tomorrow and going through Saturday, there's something called New England Territory Summons. Uh, and if you want to go to it, 
you can by going to christtemple.org. That is the uh, website of the church in Tiverton, Rhode Island, where also I will be speaking Saturday morning, but I will be doing it via video. I uh, excused myself from going. I just felt that I needed to stay home. But I am preaching on the screen, so uh, I think you'll be able to see it also if you want to. And if you'd like to have the schedule, if you'll see me after church, I can tell you the schedule of the services. I won't take time to do that now. But if you want to attend the New England Territory Summons, uh, it's going to be a great conference, and uh, we're going to take part of it uh, by uh, virtue of online live streaming. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. Brother Cornwell, if you're watching this service tonight, I'm telling you, you made my day today. Brother Cornwell texted me today and said, I'm going home from the hospital. And that just made my day. Uh, Brother Cornwell is a very dear friend of mine and of yours. And today he... Uh, was feeling so much better that they were letting him go home. He's had no fever for the last three days. His, his appetite is coming back. And so uh, we thank the Lord that God is touching our good friend. And also Brother Scott Cornwell, his son, is starting to feel better. And we thank the Lord for that. And the grandson, Trey, also got the COVID-19. But uh, we're believing God that Trey will be just fine. He's a young man and I'm sure he will handle it very well. Somebody say praise the Lord. Wow, here we are Wednesday night. Can you believe it? We're in Maine. It's August. And we're in church on an August night. Don't tell me we're not blessed. Praise God. We are so, so very blessed. Hallelujah. And tonight... I want to teach on a subject that the Lord laid on my heart, and I will bring it to you as best as I can. To all who are here, both in the building and online, we love you, and it's good to see you. Hallelujah. Justin, I'm, I'm impressed. You're hanging right in there. All right. And Vera and Jeffrey, they're hanging right in there with us. We're, we're proud of you guys. Praise God. And all of you, my goodness, it's so good to see you. Praise God. Sister Veyu, it's good to see her in church tonight. Hallelujah. Wow. Now, I got myself in trouble Sunday night because I unfortunately said a name wrong, but I'm, I knew the gentleman's name, and I, and Gary, if you're watching, I know who you are, and I love you. Praise God. So I'm going to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 7, and verse 8. And could you, just for a few moments, just dial in to what God is wanting to say to us, and we'll just go as fast as we can. If, if you're listening, then... That means your radio is on, and that's great. And I know the signals are coming in here, 
So keep your radio on so you get the signal. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And tonight I'm just going to teach on this subject with your help and with God's anointing, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Would you just lift your voices to the Lord and would you just ask God to help this preacher to do the will of God tonight? Lord, I love you. I worship you, Lord. I thank you, God, that you are here in a very precious and special way. Father, I thank you for everyone who will listen tonight with their heart and their ears. And I pray, God, that they would feel your great love and compassion tonight. For we need that, Lord, and we love you and we worship you, God. Oh, Lord, take over this service now. I humbly ask you, oh, God, take this service over, Lord, and speak to us, oh, God, from the secret place of the thunder. I pray, oh, God, in the name of Jesus, praise God. You may be seated. Whatever it takes. When I was a little kid, there were a couple of ladies, and some of my Illinois friends are probably watching tonight, but they used to sing this song, he washed my eyes with tears that I might see. And uh, I can still, in my mind, still see those people standing there, Sister Jenny and Sister Jerry, singing, he washed my eyes with tears that I might see. Pastor Paul had written a pretty harsh letter to the Corinthian church. It was, it was tough, but it was a needful correction that he gave, but nevertheless, it, it grieved him to have to write it. I, I don't know if you get it or not, but let me just tell you this. A true leader, a true Christian leader, hates to have to reprimand or rebuke. If my pastor was somebody that likes to rebuke, I'm probably going to be in a worshiping in a different church, if there's another church that preaches the truth. Now, I will tell you this. I would not go to any church that is not a one God, Jesus name, apostolic, tongue-talking, holy, rolling, born-again, heaven-bound, believing church. Because if I'm going to be lost, at least I want to know I'm lost. I don't want somebody deceiving me and thinking I'm okay in that condition. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
But any leader that, that leads in God's church, that God's placed in leadership, people have to know that he cares. You know, you can be a fountain of knowledge. You can be a, a library of Bible commentaries. But if you don't love the people, you just, you just don't have what it takes to be a leader as far as God is concerned. Praise God. So Paul gave this tremendous rebuke to the Corinthians, but it grieved him. He, he stayed up at night. I, you know, I never want to be the guy that makes my spiritual leader cry. I've never seen anything good come out of that. I mean, if he's crying because... He's feeling the presence of God. That, that's awesome. I really love to see people who are Christian leaders who are not ashamed to show emotion for the Lord. But I don't want to be the guy that makes somebody cry that's my spiritual leader. Because I got to reading this book and when Samuel started crying over Saul, it was curtains for Saul. You guys got it? He said, I've been crying all night over you. And the next thing we know is Saul is gonzo. So Paul had written to the Corinthians and man, when he said it, it was true and it was needful. But he was so concerned. After Paul had written the first epistle to the Corinthians, according to history, it seems that there was a, a, a group of opposition that began to rise up in the church in Corinth. And Paul left where he was and paid an immediate visit to Corinth and found out, boy, they weren't kidding. And it appears that Paul may have been even openly challenged and mocked by some of the congregation at Corinth. So... Returning to Ephesus, he wrote a severe letter of rebuke and correction that he sent by the hand of one called Titus. Ever hear of Titus? Before Titus could return, events took a disastrous turn at Ephesus, where Paul was, and Paul had to flee in peril of his life. Now, sometimes we think about these great men and we don't realize, wow, the things that they went through for the gospel's sake. So, Paul, this is when he went to Troas. And while he was at Troas, he was waiting to hear from the Corinthians. And it was at Troas, remember, that he saw a vision and he, and he saw a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. This happened while he was at Troas. So he crossed into Macedonia, and not only did he go help the Macedonians, but that's where he met Titus, possibly in the town of Philippi. And the news, happily from Titus, was reassuring. And Paul sat down and wrote the second epistle to the Corinthians, and he sent it by hand mail, in the hands of Titus. Sometimes we think of 
great men like the Apostle Paul, we don't realize how human they were. When you begin to look at his writings, you see that sometimes Paul battled fear. And he battled concerns just like us. Matter of fact, an illustration of this is 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5. He said, for when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Who's saying that? The apostle Paul. He said, I was scared, folks. He said, and without there were fightings and within were fears. So Paul knew what it was to, to do spiritual warfare and to, to battle with his own flesh. Paul said that when he arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest. And for one thing, remember, he had sent this harsh letter to the Corinthians. There were people opposing him there. He was in Macedonia. He didn't know how it was going to go. And he was flat worried about these precious people of God. He said, we face conflict from every direction. Anybody ever feel that? With battles on the outside and fear on the inside. I don't remember what the song was, but there was a song a few years ago that said, inside this armor there's a child. Anybody remember that song? What was it called? Say it louder. The warrior is a child. Anybody remember that? Would just lift your hand even if you didn't. I'm just looking for some support tonight. Hallelujah. Inside this warrior is a child. Paul said there were battles on the outside, fear on the inside. You know what that tells me? Everybody look up here. That means it doesn't matter who you are. There are going to be times of conflict in everybody's life, no matter even if you're the great apostle Paul. Everybody's going to have times of conflict in their life. Without were fightings, within were fears. Now, that's not the only guy that said something like that. There's another very famous person that you like to quote a lot. His name is Peter. And when he was an old man, he wrote those two little books in the back of the Bible called First and Second Peter. And one of the verses is verse, chapter 4, verse 12 of First Peter. And he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. You know, one of the lies of the devil is nobody else is going through what you're going through. You know, you're kind of weird. You're the only one going through stuff like this. Why, if you were half a Christian, you wouldn't have thought that nasty thought. If you were half a Christian, I like to say half. Because that's the way some of my main friends say it. Well, if you were anything but a half-wit, you wouldn't be going through this. And, and if everybody knew how 
weak you really are and the problems that you have, <laughs> they wouldn't want anything to do with you. But Peter said, friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you were going through as, as if something strange, weird, or unusual was happening to you. And then Paul, we go back to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 6, and he says, Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. And I thought, wow, what a wonderful, what a wonderful thing to say. He says, God that comforteth those who are cast down. There's going to be times when you're going to feel like you just got cast down. There's going to be times when you're going to feel like not only did you get cast down, you got walked on. And there's going to be times you're going to feel like they walked on you several times and then took a Mack truck and drove over you a couple times to be sure you weren't kicking. There's going to be times in life that you are going to be cast down. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down. God comforts, he encourages, he refreshes and cheers the depressed and the sinking. If you live long enough, you will battle with depression, even if you're the world's most positive person. There are times in life when you're going to battle with depression. But I, I have good news for you, God that comforteth those that are cast down is going to comfort you. Well, just a minute. I'm going to do it for you. Amen, Pastor. That's a good word, Pastor. I love that word. Hallelujah. God comforts those that are cast down. Hallelujah. I think I got thrown under the bus. I got some tire marks going across my head. But, oh, God, I'm thankful that you are comforting those that are cast down. I don't know how he's going to do it. I just know he's going to make a way where there is no way. I just know that he who begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I don't know how God's going to get you out of the mess you're in. I just know he's going to do it. Come on now. I can't see how God is going to deliver some folks out of some situations, but I just believe that God is the one who comforts those that are cast down, and he's going to comfort you. He's going to make a way. I don't know how he's going to do it, but that's why he's God, and I'm not. Somebody over here say, in the name of Jesus. Some over here say, I believe what you're preaching. Somebody here say, in Jesus, name. in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody together, we declare victory. Yeah. We declare victory. Yeah. On what basis can you declare victory? 
I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus. So Paul was comforted by the coming of faithful Titus. You know, I'm so thankful. Everybody ought to have a faithful friend. Now, your faithful friend may not be your, your um, sounding board so much. He or she may not be the person that just says, oh, that's right, honey. You have every right to be mad at the pastor. That's not a faithful friend. You know, that's like saying, here's the gun. I'll pull the hammer back for you. You go ahead and shoot yourself in the head. You suffered long enough, baby. There was a woman in the Bible that said, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? He said, you talk like a foolish woman. That's when she hit him. He never saw her again for two weeks. Took that long for his eyes to open back up. Well, I'm trying to bring you out of that deep hole you're down in there, and I'm, I'm fishing for you. I got a big old rope, and I'm trying to get it around your shoulders and, and haul you out of there. I'm just telling you that you're not going through anything that somebody else has not already gone through. And I'm telling you that the God who brought Paul through those tremendous trials is the same God that comforts you. It's the same God that's with you. That's the same God that's going to bring you through. He's never going to fail. Anyway, I'm going to go back to my subject now. Somebody, usher, get that woman over there. <laughs> Praise God, hallelujah. Paul had a faithful friend. Everybody needs a friend that's going to look you in the eye and say, you know, that, that just ain't right. Now, you may not like it, but that's what you need sometimes. And you need a pastor sometimes that's not just going to say, oh, bless your little heart. That's just fine. You go ahead and do that. Sometimes pastors are going to say, are you stupid or something? What are you trying to do, kill yourself? And that's not being mean. That's being a faithful friend. And I said it mildly. So Titus came and he, he said, hey, Paul, I got news for you. He said, the people at Corinth that you reproved, oh, yeah, I remember. Well, they've repented and they've turned around. You're kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. 
Man, I've been sweating bullets. I've been worried about these people. And you say, what? I said they've turned around. They've repented. They're talking in tongues. They can't wait to see you, Pastor. They're welcoming you back. And I believe Paul probably got up and did one of these numbers. Paul began to rejoice. And here's what he said. In 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 8, he said, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. There's been times when I've stood up in this pulpit and I felt the inspiration of the Lord and I made statements. Sometimes they were strong as horse reddish. And then on my way home, I said to myself, did I say that? Oh, my God, did I say that? And I begin to beat myself up. Did I say that? Oh, my God, I, I shouldn't have said it that strongly. And I can understand what Paul's saying. He said, I, I made you sorry with a letter. I do not repent. No, I did repent. Well, he was waiting to see what they were going to do, how they were going to react, how they were going to respond. Paul was repenting, and he was saying, oh, God, if I was a little too rough, forgive me. God, if, if I, I, maybe I should have just kept my mouth shut and, and said nothing. And all that's going through his mind, and then Titus comes along and says, I got good news, preacher. He says, what's that? Those people that you corrected have repented, turned to God, the heaven revival in Corinth, hallelujah, it's going to be all right. And that preacher got up and began to do the Pentecostal whirly bird. And I noticed that in the eighth verse, he said, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. And man, I don't have the Bible that I underlined it in because I left it in the other vehicle. But in the Bible that I had, I got excited and I got a pen and I underlined these words. Sorry for a season. Sorry for a season. And I thought... That's good. I'm going to preach on that one of these days. Sorry for a season. I, I would rather be sorry for a season than to be sorry for eternity. I, I would rather somebody come up and clean my clock and let me know just exactly what they think of what I'm doing and my attitude than for me to turn and walk into hell and be sorry for eternity. God has chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Thank you for that strong amen. amen. He said, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but you sorrowed to repentance. I know we've been, the Lord's been leading in this direction for a couple weeks now, but, but I, whenever God's talking to us about a subject, he doesn't just say it in one service and then he flits off like a bird to another branch. He's going to deal with that for a little while while he's waiting for your response. And I've noticed that people who cannot 
or will not repent eventually lose out with God. If you're a person that can never say, God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. You will eventually lose out with God because you don't realize the value of repentance. The value of repentance cannot be overstated. I'm here in part because every time I've realized I failed, I've fallen upon my face before God and said, God, I'm not just saying this, I mean it, I'm sorry. Now, isn't it frustrating, though, when you make the same mistake several times? Don't even, I don't even want to look at you. But there's been times when my greatest depression came because of a situation that I thought I had conquered, and it came back to hit me again. And it's sometimes... In those kinds of situations, a person can say, well, what's the use? I don't think I can ever be what God wants me to be. But before you were born, God called you to be a child of God. And he knew that if you failed him 99 times... How he was going to deliver you from those 99 times. And it doesn't mean that you're going out there and just trying to do wrong. It means you're trying to do right. But when you slip up, God says, you know what? My grace is sufficient. I just want you to apologize. I want you to be sorry. I want you to repent. I want you to ask me to forgive you. And God just standing and rubbing his hands together saying, if he will repent, I will forgive him. If she will repent, I will forgive her. That's my God. That's my God. That's the God I I serve. The value of repentance. Repentance not only indicates a heart broken for sin, but a heart broken away from sin. That's what repentance does for you. It breaks your heart that you've hurt God, and then it helps you to break away from that sin. So valuable. Repentance looses you to move on in Christ. The power of repentance brings us to the place where we can say with all sincerity, I truly am sorry. You know, whenever you have people that are married... If one of them never says, I'm sorry, you know that marriage is in trouble. It takes two to tango, right? Both people have to be willing at times to say, I'm sorry, and not, well, I'm sorry. It's kind of different, isn't it? Altar call. Hallelujah. Any relationship is in trouble 
if only one person can say I'm sorry. It takes a bigger person, a greater character, to be able to say I'm sorry than it does to go on <clears throat> and just try to do nice things for that person. I know how some of you folks do. You do somebody wrong, and what you try to do is do something nice for them, but you'll never tell them, I'm sorry, I messed up. <clears throat> Hello? Did I lose you? The power of repentance brings us to a place where we can say, I'm sorry, but that's only half the story. Did I offend you? I offend him, I'm in deep trouble. It takes a lot to offend him. Thanks for the water. I think he's telling me my sermon's a little dry tonight. <clears throat> I'm trying to talk about repentance. Will you stop laughing, please? <clears throat> The power of repentance brings us to a place where we can say, I'm sorry, but that's only half the story. The power of repentance also brings us to the place where we can say, I'm through. I'm not going to be involved in that. I'm going to quit doing that. Now, you may fail somewhere along the way, but then you get on your knees and you ask God to forgive you, and you purpose in your heart, I'm not going to be doing that. And you keep, keep trying until at last you succeed. You know, it's important that we love Jesus, but it's also important that we hate evil. We need to despise evil, not despise people, but despise evil. I want to serve the Lord with all my heart. I want to serve the Lord with all my soul. I want to serve the Lord with all my might. I want his words which he has commanded me to be in my heart. I'm not doing this because I have to. I don't get mad if I see somebody else not living up to the standards. I get sad, but I don't get mad. Because I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because it's in the Word. I'm doing it because it's the will of God. And I want everybody to do the will of God. But I'm not doing what I do because I have to do it. Because if I'm doing it because I have to do it, I'll get mad when I see somebody else who is fudging. Well, you just never know where this message is going tonight. People who get angry when they see other people that are not living up to the proper standard of Christian living have a heart problem. They're doing the right thing, but they're not doing it for the right reason. What I do for Christ, I do because I love Christ. Not because somebody's standing over me making me do it. I do it because I love him and I want to please him. And when he hurts, I hurt. I want his word to be in my heart. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm coming to a close pretty quickly now. He said, now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner. And, and I can't preach on it tonight, but that's another sermon. Sorry after a godly manner. 
that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. He said, I'm, I'm happy, not because I made you sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. You became sorrowful as God intended, and you were made sorry after a godly manner. You were not harmed in any way by what I said to you. You see, Paul said, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. What's he saying? He's saying godly sorrow leaves no regret. When you're sorry with a godly sorrow, it's not like the sorrow of the world. Don't repent because you were sensitive enough to experience godly sorrow. I'm more concerned about the drones than I am the people that begin to weep when I'm preaching. I'm not so concerned about the people who can weep before the Lord and weep in the presence of God. I'm more concerned about the people who just won't let God have his way and, and they won't let God bring them to this wonderful place of repentance. And there is an emotional experience and it's sorrow, a godly sorrow that says, God, I'm so sorry I failed you and I, I hurt you and I, I'm so sorry that I hurt you and I, I want to live for you and want to do your will. And I'll tell you what. That's when the comfort of God begins to come. There are no regrets for godly sorrow. Sometimes God has brought me down to the potter's house. Are you with me tonight? It's Wednesday night. I'm not trying to get you to swing from the chandeliers. I just want you to listen. Sometimes... God has brought me down to the potter's house and said, okay, boy, I'm putting you back on the wheel. No! Yep. I got to put you on the wheel. Now, I'm not talking about the torture wheel, although it does hurt. It does hurt. I want to put you on the potter's wheel. Because you know why, son? Because you hate me. No, because I love you. What are you going to put me on the potter's wheel for? Because I'm going to make you into something very special. I don't want you just to be a bland person. I want to make you into a, a vessel of honor in order for that to happen. Would you be willing to let me put you on the wheel? Because to be clay, you have to be willing. You know, my biggest enemy is not the devil. My biggest enemy lives between my ears. My biggest enemy is my will. And how many times has God spoke about that? Brother Shane preached about it Sunday morning. I think I've preached about it once or twice this life. God is talking to somebody about surrendering your will to the will of God. And sometimes God says, if you'll be the clay. I'll never forget, when I was a little kid... For a little while, you might have heard me tell this story, but for a few years, Mom and Dad and me and Larry, we lived in Belleville, Illinois. We had a nice home, and it, it was pretty nice, and it had a big hedge in the back, and, but on the other side of the hedge was a cemetery. And how would you like to be out in the yard playing and you get this organ music coming out of the speakers? I remember one time 
we kids were over in the cemetery because we got to the point where we played in the cemetery. Wasn't a good idea. I'm sure we made a nuisance of ourselves if we got in the pond and everything else out there. And one time, one of my friends, there was a big cardboard box. No, I think it was a wooden crate. Big crate. She stuck her hand down inside between the cracks in that crate, and she touched a cold hand. Whoa, she said, and she pulled her hand back, and she wasn't there very long. Turned out to be a statue, by the way. But I remember as a little kid playing in the backyard and sometimes crossing through the hedge and playing in the cemetery, the organ music would get to playing, and guess what they'd start playing? And I, I, I learned this song, one of the first songs I ever learned, because I heard it every day, and it was so weird. It would go, da. And they would start playing, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way, thou art the potter. And even as a kid, I knew there was something wrong with that. I knew that once you had passed on to eternity, there was no need for somebody to be playing, have thine own way, Lord. the clay. I knew even as a kid that if I was going to be clay I had to make that decision before I passed over the great divide. Before I went over to the other side I would have to say I'll be the clay. You be the potter. Make me and mold me and shape me as you will. And sometimes the Bible says that the clay is marred in the hand of the potter. Oh, it's not because the potter made a mistake. It's not because the potter wasn't efficient or skillful. It was the flaws in the clay. And God had to take the clay and put it back on the wheel again, work it again. You see, our God is a good potter. He will patiently work the clay however many times it needs to be worked. And the Bible says, so he made it again, another vessel. I seem good to the potter. And that's where I got whatever it takes. I, Lord, my God, my God, my God. We've laughed tonight. We've listened. I believe the Spirit of God several times has flowed through here while I've been preaching. I believe God's giving somebody hope. I believe God is saying, don't give up. The potter's not going to give up. If you're willing to be the clay, he will still be the potter. If you're willing to be clay in his hands, it doesn't matter if there's a flaw. He'll make you over again. Somebody has got to say, whatever it takes. Now, when Shane was a young teenager, he never gave me any problem. The worst thing that ever happened with him, somebody turn this on. 
The worst thing that ever happened to him while he's trying to get the volume turned up is sometimes he'd get a little attitude and he'd say, whatever. He still doesn't do that, does he? Oh, just keep a poker face. Whatever. You know, I love you people. I don't know how many more times I'm going to get to preach to you. There's a voice calling me from an old rugged tree. And it whispers, draw closer to me. Leave your world far behind. There are new heights to climb. And a new life in me you will find. For whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord. That's what I'd be willing to do. And whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'd be willing My Lord, I'd trade sunshine for rain, comfort for pain. That's what I'd be willing to do for whatever it takes for my will to break that's what I'd be willing to do take the dearest thing God to me if that's how it must be to draw me closer to you let my disappointments come lonely days without the sun if in sorrow more like you I'll become and whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord. That's what I'd be willing to do. And whatever it takes to be more like you, 
that's what I'd be willing to do. Boy, I feel the Lord right now. Take my houses and my lands, change my dreams and all my plans, for I'm placing my whole life in your hands and if you call me today to a land far away Lord I'll go and your will I will obey and whatever it takes draw closer to you, Lord. That's what I'd be willing to do. And whatever it takes to be more like you, that's what I'd be Somebody God is talking to right now. Why, Lord, I'd trade sunshine for rain. I'd trade comfort for pain. That's what I'd be willing to do. For whatever, whatever it takes for my will to break that's what I'd be willing to do that's what I'd be willing to do take the dearest thing to me if that's how it must be to draw me closer to you let my disappointments come lonely days without the sun if in sorrow more like you I become. Would you stand to your feet now? And whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord, that's what I'd be willing to do. And whatever it takes to be more like you, that's what I'd be willing to do. Every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder, you may feel like God, I don't think I deserve to be forgiven. 
But the Lord stands here and he says, won't you let me be the potter and I'll be the clay. You be the clay, rather, I'll be the potter. Won't you be the clay and let me be your potter? Because I've called you. You know, can you just remember when you weren't in church, you weren't living for God? And God did a miracle and somehow you're here right now. Everyone has a miracle story to tell. God didn't do that just so you would be lost. He didn't do that just so you wouldn't make it. He did it because he said, with my help, you can make it. And I'm going to sing it again, and I'm going to ask somebody right now. I don't care if it's your 1,000th time. I want you to come and just stand at the front. If you're willing to say, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, you be the potter and I'll be the clay. And whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord, that's what I'd be willing to do. And whatever it takes to be more like you, that's what I'd be willing to do. Oh, I trade sunshine for rain I trade all the comfort in the world for pain that's what I'd be willing to do for whatever it takes for my will to break that's what I'd be willing. Come on, somebody say, God, you be the potter, I'll be the clay. That's what I'd be willing to do, Lord. I'm willing, I'm willing, I'm willing, Lord. That's what I'd be willing to That's what I'd be willing to do. Somebody, would you lift your voice to God and say, That's what I'd be willing to do. a deep move of the Spirit and it's for people who want to be used of God you see if you'll let God put you on the potter's wheel he's going to work those things out for you he will work it out he'll work it out
Could we take three minutes right now and just give God ridiculous praise? Could we just give God radical praise right now? Not the kind of praise you feel like giving, the kind of praise he deserves. Hallelujah! I got my mind made up. I got my mind made up, Lord. You're the potter. I'm the clay, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to make it, Jesus. I'm going to make it home. Hallelujah. Lord God bless you tonight you can pray as long as you like you're gonna make it you're gonna make it cause you've got what it takes to win and I know that you're you're gonna make it you're you're gonna make it i